Hello everyone and welcome to Rantbox TV. I'm your host today, Matt Gaffin, and we're here to discuss the importance of story in modern culture. Um, Rantbox is a really fantastic podcast I've been getting involved with over the last few weeks. And here we have, uh, we focus on nuanced conversations, especially when there are sort of differing viewpoints. It's increasingly important these days that we are able to engage with one another without resorting to uh, slagging each other off. So it's really great to be here. Um, today we're talking about stories and modern culture, and this came from a discussion we were having literally just before the episode with um, Ola, our good friend, um, who had been watching a recent Ad a Adam Curtis documentary, and we got discussing about how storytelling affects modern politics. Uh, Ola, do you fancy giving us a bit more context? Why, hello, Matt the Gaff. Thank you. Yes, I would. <clears throat> so I was inspired I was by this documentary by uh, Adam Curtis, where, first of all, it, it, we talked, we touched upon Iraq. So in the early 19th, 1911s, I think, um, there was an envoy of English people that went over to rebuild Iraq. And they were of a certain class and a certain ilk. And they took this strange vision of English, the English countryside that, that was part of our like folk culture from that time period and tried to impose it on a completely different landscape that had nothing to do with reality. And it's weird how this ideology was imposed upon these people and, and, and to this day, causes the chaos that is modern day Iraq because the Americans, when they came in, they did the same exact thing that the English did with the invasion. It was, it was really absolutely fascinating. Um, the whole series is about how stories were drive us and whether it's like for the good or the bad. So for example, we're talking about the Soviet Union and the, the communist, um, regime started off with an ideology that started off with a story. It was a story of revolution. Now in Russia and so the Soviet Union collapsed and that story was replaced and they tried to replace it with democracy, but that really didn't really work out. And instead you got a man, which was great. It was just like, we replaced it with Putin, a man who believes in nothing. <laughs> But, you know, even Putin started to embrace weird kind of national things to keep him in power, like the um, Russian Orthodox Church, um, Russian nationalism. And in China, after China didn't break with communism the way the Soviet Union did, but what it did do was it just dropped the revolution story, you know, kept the authoritarianism and just made it all about money ruthless capitalism without any socialism without any democracy just ruthless capitalism and it's kind of showed the problems within china there's a lot of corruption there, there was a lot of suppressed um human rights issues etc 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 and so what we want to touch upon is like i just got fascinated by it we need stories as human beings we need stories but what happens when the stories distort or destroy or when one person's story 
whether it's like say white English trying to impose upon a different people, a different culture, their story, or when the, when the story is gone and you want to you know replace replace it with something soulless like just money, or the story of the individual and how that's collapsing here in the West as well. And uh, I want to you know that's the context of it. Now, fellas, let's let's uh, take it to the next. Next phase. Thank you so much. That was a really, really great, really great introduction to the subject. Um, I find it very interesting uh, what you're bringing up about sort of stories and government, because I kind of see that like what is government and the way we rule ourselves, if not a story that we tell ourselves to justify the way we currently live. Um, uh, guys, John, Ollie, you got any thoughts on the subject? I think, um, so yeah, I, I guess like to lay the kind of groundwork for what we're saying, I think, yeah, there's definitely a place there where stories are the binding element to sort of all human civilization. That sounds very grand, quite, quite overarching, great story there, but like, it is true. Um, you know, like stories are the way we manage to get past Dunbar's number, you know, the, the maximum number of people that human beings can effectively cooperate with. That is the way that we have, evolved from small groups, tribes, into a society that essentially spans the world to a greater or lesser extent. But yeah, it's a problem in the sense that I suppose some stories can conflict, um, some stories can't coexist. Um, but more often, I think, at least in the modern times, the times we are now, like the very recent past, I think the interesting part is that where you come to a place where you live in a nation or a group or um, a facet of society which has a story or has had a single story for such a long time and then small stories start to come up inside you get cracks and fissures within the unity of a greater story i think if britain is the perfect example of that really as a whole where we have the story of great britain as a as, as a nation which has always you know has has this long history of punching above its weight and then apparently saving the world and all this crap. Um, but then also, you know, you get to a point where we are now where, for instance, there's a lot of people who think, okay, Great Britain is the best thing since sliced bread, stop telling me what to do. And then other people are like, Great Britain is really cool, but that came at a cost, we need to maybe improve that. Or as I think um, you guys were talking about um, during the misogyny episode, you know, like the story of, you know, we doff our caps and pull our forelocks for the queen or what the hell are we doing? That's the worst thing ever. So it, it's tough because, um, yeah, how do you, once those stories start to separate and divide, you create new groups and then how do you either gel those groups together or let them live in a way that they can be separate? In, in the modern world, I'm not sure that's even possible. Um, you know, geographically, when our stories divide down social lines, geographically, we're kind of screwed because we have to live with each other <laughs> and you end up with London, you know, and then England around it. <laughs> and Or like, you know, the same thing with like Brighton or, and everything around it, where you end up with these two very different narratives about what, uh, you know, a people should be or a method of living should be or what's right and what's wrong and politically where we stand. John? You have a really good point. Um, several. Um, and I have a question for one of the points that you raised. You said that there are people who believe that uh, Britain have, you know, 
as a as a nation we've saved the world what do you say to people who believe that story when they don't even consider it a story they consider it to be a fact that everyone should accept what do you say to those people i think funnily enough it's a conversation i've had quite a number of times um i think that that story always comes attached to a certain um personality I know that sounds bad. I don't want to generalize too much, but most of the time that story is a simple one. And it's a simple story for people who like short steps and, and very few levels of conclusion. Um, you know, they are the flag waving. Um, Wait, they like variety. kids books? They like kids books? Is that what you're saying, Dr. Well, Seuss? <laughs> kind of yeah it's funny you should say that um no i mean it, it's the things of i'm trying to it's it's easy to make this into a them and us and i don't want to make it into a them and us um because to be honest them and us is their thing um you know they like short stories simple stories black and white hero and villain those people who feel the most comfortable with that tend to be the ones that fall into the trap of seeing the place where they are, the team they're on, is something really, really good, and then everything else is not so good, or or bad even, um, you know. And yeah, it's a spectrum, but it's difficult to to have that conversation sometimes. And I think that everyone, when you sit them down as an individual, and you know, say to them, look, you know, I think we can all kind of come to a point where we know that every great achievement comes in, you know, with the cost of blood, sweat, and tears. No matter what you do in life, that's that's how it goes. Um, and I think they, they would all agree with that, but it's hard when you have this current narrative of um, political thought where the progressive side of politics, um, often conflated with leftism, but not really, um, is so keen to address these things and vocally wants to address them now, 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 because let's face it, you know, when is going to be a good time? Um, you know, it's it's natural for those people to kind of feel a backlash to it. So it's a hard subject. And you say, like, how do you talk about it? Well, slowly, <laughs> gently, um, I, you know, over time. I have, I have to interrupt because I have something that you said, Oliver, spurred something in my brain as and I, I just jolted. I read this book about Gnosticism and um, mystery schools. And there's lots of different versions of like, many different religions had Gnosticism, but I'm gonna give you the the, ba like the the basic shell of his Christianity. Like, you know, the, the whole like God, you know, Jesus dying in the cross, that kind of stuff. That was like, there was like, they had this belief because they understood the nature of stories. They had like the literal belief that the story was real. So people would like get into it, right? And then as they evolved, within Gnosticism, they would realize that it wasn't a, the story of Jesus dying and the whole thing wasn't literal. It was actually a metaphor. But when you when they first had to hook people, like you said, like the, the flag waving, the, the people who like small steps, it was like a way of like drawing, catching people. And then as you evolved within Gnosticism and you and you studied more in the mystery schools, you would suddenly see, oh, actually, it's not about a guy dying. It's the death of the ego. It's a metaphor, right? 
And, but unfortunately what happened with Christianity, it was just taken over by the Byzantine empire and they stripped that and they just left that and said, this actually happened, right? That, that's another example of like how they understood the importance of the story, got people into it on a certain level and then slowly educated them. What happens when that is removed and it's used for authoritarian purposes? The story is used for authoritarian purposes like Byzantine Christianity. The whole thing was the, the emperor who adopted um, Christianity wasn't a Christian, he was a pagan. He just did it to control the populace. And that's, you know, and, that, and you could even say, oh, story, you know, heroes and the super and fascism to it. I think it might be even connected. But <clears throat> I, that, I just, you know, when you said people who like, you know, you, does that, is that what we need to do? We need a bit of Gnosticism? Gnosticism? You know, the, the idea of like, well, we hook someone with a simple story and then through a longer process of initiation, we evolve their thinking. Okay, I'll just leave it there. I mean, I think that's a very interesting point. Um, and it, it was something that actually Ollie had, in fact, uh, we should return to Ollie soon because I'm very conscious, but he may have had more to say. Um, but just on that point, um, it's very interesting the idea that stories as a device for control versus story stories as an ultimately kind of authoritarian tool. And I, I don't think I believe stories are by nature manipulative, but they are a way that we use to communicate with one another. I feel like it's very, um, it serves a very easy purpose to use them as a tool for manipulation though, which is why they become this kind of like narrative of control quite often. Um, Ollie, did you have anything more that you wanted to add to the conversation? Um, I guess there's a couple of bits maybe that need clarifying. And I think just to springboard off of stuff that you guys have said, really, which is that um, the first one is for, for Ollie, really, and Gnosticism, because that's a really interesting point. Um, I think there's an element there where it's hard to imagine in the day and age that we find ourselves now, how people felt about Gnostic beliefs, structures, and things in the past. I think there's always this willful misunderstanding where we look back on the past with the baggage of where we are now at Christianity, at paganism, at all sorts of things with this idea that we already know what that was about. Um, this is a very timely episode because funny enough, I was just having a very in-depth conversation about this um, quite recently where we were talking about um, the difference between the Judeo-Christian God um and the, say the greek pantheon of gods where judeo-christian god is the force is a force of nature he you know there's nothing you can do that's outside of its influence but for the greeks and and to you know for a while the romans um you know the gods were more like a soap opera than than actual deities you know if you went to sea you didn't have to, you know, take cats and sacrifice, you know, sacrifice grain to Poseidon. It wasn't necessary. You didn't want to piss him off either. He was, you know, he was just the guy. He was just a guy that happened to be in charge of the sea. So when something happened that you couldn't really explain or you needed an explanation that was quick and dirty because you didn't have science or you didn't have science that was good enough, because let's face it, the Greeks were pretty good at science. Um, you know, yeah, it was a good way for these short step type guys or just anyone to be like, yeah, 
look, okay, the seasons change, but that's down to this goddess in the underworld who's sort of like on a shared time system. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, but they never thought, you know, there would be punishment or uh, moral judgment from these people, creatures, entities. These stories just explain the way things were in a way that just let them get on with their lives. Because Can I, Oliver, I've got something to say to you about this because it's really fascinating. One of the part of the reasons the Greek mystery schools did not succeed like Christianity did is in order to rise up in the Greek mystery schools, you had to be good at mathematics, right? And that is why Christianity became more easier because you, you didn't, you weren't required to have this mathematical back because like science and religion were intertwined as you say in and in greek society at the time and and they were used as within the greek mystery schools to go through the levels and when you know this was the christianity was a lot easier for mass people to be to become a member of and you tend to rise up you didn't have to have the pythagoras <laughs> understanding of mathematics that was kind of very popular and to you know to get up to the next level because they had caves and ceremonies and all this stuff. anyway I'm, i digress sorry just mm. in there i think yeah there's an interesting part there with uh i mean this is a whole episode in here but really um there's yeah there's an interesting part there where like you know you get the change from a hierarchical structure of like you know like you say with the mysteries and priesthood and so on into christianity which is more of an egalitarian structure traditionally a sort of you know uh, aesthetic kind of group there was a fascinating podcast which i'm sure we can add to the list of links um it's talking about a book that came out quite recently about um about christianity and jesus and when you strip all of the gnostic aspects out of the bible what's left and was jesus a good moral teacher or not and that's actually quite interestingly related but um i have to link that one but yeah that that is an interesting point because yeah you get this um, I guess, as it was explained to me, the difference between a hierarchical mentality and the mentality of slaves, you know, that that was, you know, that was Jesus's whole thing is, you know, king of the slaves, you know, we all work together, social, you know, social oh, justice he's a, warrior. He's a communist. <laughs> I always knew Jesus was a communist. What a Well, kind of, yeah, except it's <laughs> less sort of nationalizing the means of industry and just not having any means of industry at all. He's pretty hardcore. Uh, but um yeah, I've um, I've lost the thread of wherever else I was going to go. So let's let's skip on, guys. Where, where do you want to go to? Okay, cool. Well, it feels like we're kind of coming to a natural lull in the subject. So maybe we'll take it one step on. And I know, John, you had something to say on superheroes and their relationship to fiction. I think it dovetails quite nicely with these ideas of authority as well. Um, thank you. I'll try and bridge it because even though you're saying that we've come to a bit of a lull in that, um, what Ollie was saying, even though you think you got lost, Ollie, don't worry. That thicket, that weird woods that you walked us into, I found an olive branch in there. <laughs> um, this is the thing. Um, we're essentially talking about the authoritarian and manipulative element that is in story. And the common denominator appears to be men because these men seem to be uh, able to put themselves into stories in godlike fashion, whether it be Zeus or Poseidon, you know, just pissing off sailors. <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of these stories that um, equate uh, a certain kind of power and authority to those who have used brute force to get their way. And even if they don't necessarily use that when they become politically active, they still have command of the armies and those armies 
are given stories and we can take all of those archaic examples and put them in the modern day, especially in regards to the people that we were talking about before, Ollie, who have this idea in their head of what Britain is, and so therefore going to the Falklands makes sense. You know what I mean? So essentially, we're talking about all these um, mythic ideas that seem to flood our stories. Um, and to, to provide a bridge to what I was talking about, which will probably go into more depth in part two of this. There's no way we're going to do only one part of this. Um, I've, to an extent, um, and I've had this before, but again, I'm going through a bit of a malaise when it comes to superhero fiction. Um, if I bar um, things like, say, The Boys to the side, and how that's a fantastic satirical TV program about uh, modern-day cons consumer problems that we have um, in terms of what we consume and what we believe in, especially when it comes to certain episodes that deal with um, being galvanized by uh, either an alt-right force or a, just as jaundiced, um, overly um, uh, investigative or self-investigative, like say, leftist culture. Um, superhero fiction for me, unless it's doing all that, kind of feels redundant. Um, and that's because a lot of these superheroes are supposed to be trying to protect the status quo as it is. So they're really super police. Um, and if you've seen my latest posts about the police, you'll know that I'm not necessarily a massive fan of that institution or of the rhetoric that suggests that it's only one or two apples because look at any riot. There's more than one or two people that are mishandling the people that are there to hold a vigil, for instance. So. Yes, um, if we're talking about the importance of stories in the modern day, uh, my, my great gift to this group <laughs> is that there are fascinating stories to be told. And if you are um, going to be using, say, superhero fiction or escapist fiction, maybe perhaps bear in mind that even if you do have a, a wonderful soap opera type plot, at some point, I think there's going to be growing need for these stories that we go to, not necessarily just to be escapists, but to have some kind of, you know, understanding of our world and how it works, and hopefully for us to relate to it, other than it being something that we can, I don't know, buy, buy the toys of, buy the merchandise of, and then find ourselves in this little fluffy bubble and not really consider how these stories could truly be active in society. So. I have a question. Have yes, a question please. About stories. What do we, what kind of stories do we need to go forward to progress? Well, That's what I'm wow. wondering. Like I was looking at collectivism. I was looking at revolution. I was looking at individualism and socialism, all the things that they touched upon and they all failed in that documentary series. And I'm like, well, what kind of story can we take going further? I mean, I have individualism as part of mine, music and individualism. I, I feel those are my stories that I can, it, you know, that I feel close to, but what else? What else can we do? Well, um, oh, sorry, Matt, you wanted to say something. So, yeah, sorry, I just, it just, it, it touched something that's quite, that's quite close to me, um, which is this, this idea, and, and it kind of came from what both you and Willa were saying. Um, and especially when we're talking about superheroes as well, like it feels to me almost like we're talking about like buying into something, and you know, like the 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 uh, the spectacle, you know, of 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 these moral justice tales, right? 
it's almost like we're seeing people getting wrapped up in the aesthetics of moral authority rather than engaging with the the questioning and investigation of developing good morals within yourself and, and, and within building character. So to come back to what Ola was saying, I feel like part of, as, as a personal opinion, what I think people are, are deeply in need of these days is maybe slightly less cartoonish villains and uh, a, a way of actually equipping people with the moral framework to ask was this right not 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 just was this legal and you know like like it's not like i'm saying the law is always bad and you should break all of them but what i'm saying is that laws are not always right and they get changed and so when we make decisions and we're using the law as a way to judge the moral authority of those decisions that already feels like the story is kind of worming its way into a a a, a dark pattern um, does anybody remember the TV show Misfits? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah. because Matt, what you're talking about now is that it is possible for us to create stories which on the one hand serve as a certain kind of fantasy and give us a break from the modern world. But even within that fantasy, you can do things that have social commentary. I mean, Lord of the Rings being one of them. And as I said, Misfits, um, short version of this tale you've got a couple of the kids uh i'd say what they're between like say 17 20 or so right and they've all found themselves having to do community service and in this show they get struck by i can't quite remember but they get powers a bit like as in the fantastic four in that they have to kind of work together to like get through certain social situations but their situations are based in the uk and from what i remember they're they're quite adult situations and it's always to do with either gender sex like there was a character that could turn from a man into a woman and i remember that being really just like fuck this is actually happening on tv and there's nothing to say that um that this hasn't been dealt with in comics but moreover whenever something seems to become popular um aside from really good examples like say the boys it normally seems to be uh heterosexual uh super police people who seem to be given the aesthetics of morality as you're saying but really there's nothing going on there like <laughs> it's it's a it's a simulacra it means nothing i uh, actually want to quantify that question I, I, I went on a totally different way what I was asking, but it's also that's also very interesting too. I actually want a minute to say what stories for our society can we, you know, like, not, is it revolution, socialism? All these things seem old and tired. Oh, Ali, you look interested. Yes. Okay, so I apologize in advance because this may take a little winding path but i can start with ola and end up back at john um so um i think there's a really interesting point there that you've raised which is where do we go forward i think many times on this channel we've reached the dead end of conversation which seems to be the curse of all modern politics which is when what do we want change but change to what um and that is a huge problem it's the curse of our time i think the curse of many people's times, I'm sure. Um, but I think one solution that comes out of this is very much a story-based one, funnily enough. That really works quite well. Um, 
there are groups um sort of areas of study groups of people almost like support groups of sorts some of which i've had the pleasure of meeting or working with um studying with um where they take the idea of almost reductionist um myth and turn it into a functional way of living your life that's what myths are for like um trying to teach someone funnily enough a problem we come into on this channel and in all political debate all the time is trying to establish morality without context is ultimately pointless um laws are by their very nature trying to establish morality without context and they fall apart all the time because you can't accommodate for every possible situation so instead of having laws we have stories that's fair um you know we have myths the same stories that come over over and over again because it's easier to teach a child or a young person or even an adult um the right right the the you know the correct response to a moral situation by the medium of showing them many many examples because that's how the human brain functions it doesn't function on lists of facts and statistics it functions on concepts and linear stories and paths so there are groups of people there are sort of these jungian myth men you know male rehabilitators um people who go back to the fundamental ideas of where these things come from and the symbols they're in um and look at that rather than say what makes a good leader or like how would you lead this country they go name me three kings from history and tell me why they were good you know and everybody knows fundamentally what makes a good king or a good soldier or a good mother or a good father they know on an on a base level from their experience in life you just have to get them to explore that for themselves because it's not something you can tell them you just have to give them the examples and let them draw from it what they will which comes round to john which is the point of yeah superhero fatigue is a real bitch um like i think we all go there as comic book fans but being the reductionist kind of guy that i am and always you know slightly the bright side type dude i think the one thing is i always go back to being a kid in this situation i always look at yes superheroes and superhero media and all sort of like heroic drama stuff kind of gets bogged down with continuity and you know like just trivia the comic book guy from the simpsons you know like that guy is the worst thing to happen to comic books because <laughs> he's not enjoying it he's just enjoying being knowing more than you and like those guys are the yeah. worst they ruin everything um but when you can step away from that and look at things you know like the stories are more important um you know interestingly the most kitsch and most hammy characters tend to end up being the ones that do you the most good i always think of captain america in this situation there was a time i think 20 30 years ago where captain america would have just had everyone going uh no that's just you know it's just terrible this the hamiest no one wants to know about american anything like piss off we don't need a guy in a flag to tell us what to do but then they, you come to this <laughs> and you realize that no is he is a man in a flag but the flag represents something else a story right it's not a real story it never happened even in the real life you know the american dream never really happened for everybody but his existence is not that the thing happened it's he is the his story is striving to make that happen um you know like like all it says you know how will how will we progress as a society if every time we try something it falls apart 
well, we've progressed because every time you do anything, it falls apart. Nothing lasts forever. Everything goes up and then it comes down. So all you need is to know that, okay, you pick the right route and you keep moving. You keep getting up. When the world knocks you down, you just keep getting back up again. What would Batman do? Well, actually, Batman's the worst example, but what would Captain America do? You know, like, what would, if Peter Parker was in this situation, what would he do? You know, he like, would start telling me jokes to make me feel better. He would he would come up with some great quips. Before there was Buffy, there was Spider-Man, all right? Exactly. And I, you know, the thing I always think of is that, um, that incredibly hammy, but quite moving speech at the start of Superman. Um, John know this help me out um there's a thing with um Jor-El where he does a big long speech at the start of the Superman movies and then they kind of reuse is it is this with Marlon Marlon Brando Marlon Brando yes is the Mandra- Marlon Brando speech that's that remember, is exactly yeah. it you know it's like it that's the point is that you have to keep trying you know like people are flawed but the here the stories aren't flawed because they're not real you just have to try and live up to the people in them if you can. Sure. Um, I, I've got quite a bit to say, as you can probably imagine. I'll firstly go out with this. Like, we talked off camera about how when there's a certain kind of optic in the room, that if you are basically one of uh, a few people who seems to have, like, say, a certain cosmetic feature or gender, then there will be a certain kind of pressure on you to kind of, you know, um, represent yeah now just because i wear this all the time doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that i know what marlon brando fucking says in <laughs> having said that having said that there are a number of things that i think that he probably did say that aspire to greatness and that superman is supposed to be a a force for good and a representative of what is moral just like Captain America. My issue is, as much as I wanted what you said, Ollie, to alleviate my superhero fatigue, which is actually capitalist fatigue in superhero uh, clothing. My, not my clothing, obviously, but my main issue is, is that if we do tell a really interesting story about Captain America being about the ideals and values of the American people rather than the government, which is where I think the, uh, the US agent version of him in the the Falcon, the Winter Soldier program's going. Even if we do tell that story, doesn't it seem almost um, almost like a, I know it's a mythical story, but do we necessarily need that tale told to us again? We know it quite well by now. We're just not necessarily putting it into action, as you were saying. What we could be doing, and I know this won't necessarily sell itself well because the higher ups, as much as they are presenting us with progressive stories. How long did it take for them to make Black Panther? How long will it take for them to have a member of the queer community be in a former spandex? It won't necessarily happen as soon as we'd like. Why? Because it's not their power fantasy. You know, the old white men who own these studios, whether well, we're talking about film. Got... One moment. What, oh, I've almost so. done. Whether we're talking about whether we're talking about film, or if we're talking about the uh, industrial complex of music, whether we're talking about theatre, it's the people at the top that have those dreams, and those dreams are being replicated in those media by people that they envision themselves to be as. When we see Black Panther, 
that is an exception. But even then, there is critical thought that suggests that the idea of it is really their fantasy version of being a black person. Getting Ryan Coogler to direct it is just uh, icing on the top. Anyway, that's my firebomb of a, of a proposal. Ola, what were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say that we have um, we have two we had two gay bat women, and, and I know this is teeny bopper crap, but Supergirl has a transgender superhero in it. I don't know if you're aware of this. There is a. I'm aware oh, of it. Really well written character. Sorry. My only issue what, is that if you ask a grandmother, if you ask someone who doesn't watch this stuff, if you ask somebody who has bought their kids a lunchbox with Batman on the side, these people are not aware of that story, Olu, and that is the issue. It's not being passed down because there's not enough capital behind it. So Captain's but fatigue. It, it's going on in the TV yeah. series. I mean, I mean, I don't know, you know, it, it is. It's on, it's on 6, 6 p.m., or whenever they broadcast this, it's, it's before nine o'clock. Kids are watching it. Okay. So yeah, and, and sure. we've got trans sure. dreamer is her is her name, um, the trans character. And they went through a whole thing with be her being trans and, and the prejudice. So it it's it, this is this is like the crappy stuff that you don't even, you don't even watch Supergirl. I watch Supergirl. <laughs> um, I you know? watched seasons. I watched seasons one and two, and then um, at that point, uh, the captain's fatigue hit me. And you're right; these stories are not just being told in CW universe. They're being told in comic books, as I have talked about them, um, but only in a furry way. I'm talking about the mainstream ideas that seem to be constantly given that push. There is talk that Captain Marvel may be um, presented as someone who is queer. And when that happens, it may be interesting, but I honestly feel at the bottom line, what they're trying to do to create money will never really be something that is um, going to caress the idea of giving these interesting stories enough nuance. I'm, I'm just afraid that the stories that we're still getting, even in the ones that we've talked about so far, are there to meet a certain quota. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably a bit of quote. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, sorry, I just want to interject there um, because I feel like one of the things that, that needs to come up, and <clears throat> I'm a bit tentative about it because it's a whole episode, episode in itself, really. But when we're talking about the relation of capital to storytelling, like there's this thing where if, like, what we want is nuanced taught stories that challenge our perceptions allow us to make correct moral judgments in a way, right? But the issue is, if those correct moral judgments uh, negatively impact the incumbent power structure of capital, then they will be suppressed by the very mechanisms that allow us to spread these stories. And I feel like these are the forces we're kind of discussing here, where we get representation, but we don't necessarily get nuanced representation. Very much so. Um, I'm going to shut up in a minute because I think I've done enough speeches. Um, I do want to tell the viewers that if they're watching this, check out the description box. There will be a link to a YouTube channel called Curio. And they did a fascinating story about how the idea of monsters relates to superheroes. and what they were using in this um, The Dark Knight Returns, which 
used to be one of my favorite comic books until Zack Snyder completely misunderstood it. <laughs> and, and to be honest, elements of it, which I never really understood, and I imbibed and thought of, yeah, that's really interesting, kind of lends itself to another topic, which is superheroes and fascism. But we'll come to that. Check out the link. Then you'll see a little bit more about how one idea of what is alternative has become mainstream and that mainstream is not necessarily as progressive as it would like to believe it is. So um, oh, go on, I felt like you had more I, to say. I just wanted to, I, I don't know if we're coming to the end of this discussion, but I feel like after like I'm I'm asking. What can we tell each other? What, where, what's going to be the next thing? What can we replace it? How can we get a story, the right story to get all of us working together to create a better society? And it seems like the answer is, um, well, we have to do levels because people are at different levels, like, like the Gnosticism idea, you know, the idea of, well, you, you are at this level and we have to actually acknowledge people's, what people can absorb and then help them move up in stories. And it seems like we need nuanced, multi-intersectional stories. So capitalism, a bit of revolution, a bit, like basically we have to go through all the stuff that we had seen and just pick the best bits to create the next story, the, the things that worked and the things that didn't work. That's I mean, I, I, I think this is really ripe for discussion and I, I have my own things to say on it, but I think it segues quite nicely into modern political stories and villains, which I know Ollie had something to say on. So Ollie, I don't know if you want to jump in now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah, it does kind of relate back to what Ollie is saying. I think, um, so the one thing, yeah, when we were talking about this before, the one thing I wanted to raise, because it's a bit of a bugbear of mine, um, because I think in this discussion, I feel like certainly maybe I'm coming from it from a very broad strokes place where I, I, I'm taking things wholesale as big concepts and using those as an example. And perhaps say John is looking at the actual things we're being presented with and looking at them individually as a, as a critique, um, you know, as a traditional critique, as the art of critique, which is good. And that kind of maybe why we're ending up in two different places. But to go over to John's side of the aisle, really, um, I think the one thing that's really hacking me off lately is the fact that you just can't have bad guys anymore. Um, <laughs> our, to, to kind of elaborate, um, our sensibility, our, our modern um, what do we call it the other day? Moral panic. Um, our wish to look at everything in a relativist sort of way, um, which is very grown up and very healthy, um, but to look at everything in you know moral relativism has led us to a place where all of our stories are sort of shades of grey. It's that grey guy versus that grey guy, that slightly more grey guy versus the slightly lighter tinted grey guy. You know, it and it's not only unsatisfying, but also kind of confusing. You move away from the point of the story in the first place, They're both philosophically and also in just, you have crap, terrible films. And then the whole of the Twitter sphere just 
saying nonsense you know like some people are just bad like i, I can't remember um there's a, there's a movie coming out of the frank herbert novel dune another version and i hope with all my heart that it's really really good um because i love that book it's fantastic but um one of the points that was raised is in the original book um the sort of arch bad guy the baron harkonnen he is a very very bad man he's very bad um, but one of the things that he does is he has a, a sort of a taste for young boys and he likes to murder them and do unpleasant sexual things to them. And he's a bad man. Like, that's the point is he's really awful. Um, but there's a sort of a debate around this whole story because it's like, well, we can't really have him be doing sort of, you know, homosexual stuff with young boys, because that's giving up the wrong impression. We don't want to exclude, uh, you know, gay men from, from, from this. We don't want them to feel offended by it. It's like, well, I'm fairly sure the murdering and pedophilia is the problem, not the boys. But, you know, like, this is the idea is that, yeah, maybe at the time it was written, it was considered bad, but he's a bad person. And in the context of this story, that makes him bad. And he has to be bad in order for the story to function. He can't be a misunderstood, narcissist or like you know a guy in need of redemption he's just bad um so that really annoys me but then on the other hand um just quickly you come into reality and you have the opposite a place where you need people you dislike to be gray figures figures who disagree with you on economic stuff or social stuff but are basically just human beings in the end you have the same drives that you have um but then you want them to be really awful. You want them to be awful as possible so you can hate them as efficiently as possible. So then you end up with like scarecrow head numpties as the prime minister, who you think are the worst things since Satan. And then wanting to make the guy in the story who is basically Satan be kind of all right and likable if you went down the pub. That's <laughs> nuts. Ollie, you know what's really, really interesting? Because like I was going to come over to your side of the aisle regarding something that you said earlier, and I will do that. But... What you just said, even though you're right, you can't really like mess with a certain text. You have to understand that, and I think you do, that ultimately the history when it comes to queer representation on screen in Hollywood, it's not particularly great. Like apparently if you're gay, you're gonna be wearing a dress and killing people. Like that seems to be what's happening in these <laughs> films constantly. If I'm talking about Silence of the Lambs, if I'm talking about Psycho, like so, or you beyond know, that, the Valley of the Dolls. You see, you see, apparently mm. if you're gay, then you're a psycho killer. I mean, what the fuck is going on? So there's that. Um, but I will come over to your side of the aisle regarding um, something regarding capitalism and stories and superheroes. And in particular, it kind of ricochets a little bit of what Ola was saying before. Um, my issue with Captain America is that I feel we know these stories, but perhaps as a culture, we needed to basically realize that not everyone was buying the fucking comic books. And so therefore I have to be patient with culture as it tells these stories again through film um, to the point that if you are watching um, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier in that some of the ideas they're talking about in regards to um, the buddy cop movie and the, the racial coding that goes in with that, 
and doing things for the optics and not necessarily because of what is right and wrong. There's some subtle story stuff in there which wouldn't be out of place on the boys, which I think is the height of superhero TV. So that is my other olive branch to you, Ollie. Olive branch, Ollie, see what I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> what else does anyone have to say? Um, I mean, uh, so I, th this, is, this is a subject that's very, very close to my heart because it's basically what I try to do in my creative output is I'm very concerned with how we tell stories in a way that actually open up subject matter rather than close it down because people get up in arms as Ollie was saying about specific moral ideas and they have their own individual moral compasses about why something is wrong why something is bad the forces that, that make those bad things happen and so for me when I am doing my writing I tend to focus on not oh this thing is happening that is making things bad and more so focus on what is the actual bad thing because most of the time people from both sides of the arguments can come together and agree that x is bad and shouldn't happen but they have different ideas as to why it happens but until you can actually get two people in a room to just come together and be like we both agree this is a problem and have different ideas about what's causing it and have a discussion about that you're just going to be creating scarecrows of each other and then throwing stones at, stones at them rather than engaging. And I do think we need to cultivate this more, like it's like, I, I, I have two takes on Ollie's take basically. Like I agree and I disagree because in some ways, you know, like I personally have problems with how in much more recent uh, Star Wars media, there's this need to show like, the morally ambiguous or kind of you know you can kind of like this uh space nazi you know like there's there's the imperial yeah! kind of likeable embrace your inner space nazi come hug me hug me space nazi it's okay hug me. <laughs> i'm just glad we got space nazi in the show yes but you know what i mean like 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 you can have debates about it but originally the idea behind the empire was that they were based on nazi aesthetic and so it's kind of weird to then kind of distance from from that and try and make it this both sides story when it has this kind of lineage of being a much more extreme thing and to not engage with that to not actually say no these are the bad guys and maybe you can kind of empathize with one or two of them but they are definitely evil you know, I think there is a, a certain responsibility to do with how you tell a story. It's not that you can't empathize with a villain, but you need to be able to almost make an uncolored moral judgment. Or, okay, but you know, I want to jump in here with the hit, kill yeah. the Hitler baby story. Okay, you know, like okay. That, that, that whole thing, like you, you go back in time and you're over Hitler's cradle. Yeah, do you do it? So you do it and then there and then you kind of speaking of nazis again there is a doctor who episode with tom baker where he has an opportunity to kill the dialects you know and he had like all he had was like it was really funny it's like i think he had some water and an electrical wire <laughs> he was there at the beginning when they just had a couple of gestating they're gestating in a thing and he he's sitting there with the these two pieces of wire all he's got to do is like put them together 
and he's debating, do I kill the dialects, which is basically our mm. our version, the English version of the Nazis, right? And, and and he's sitting there and debating this, and like Sarah, who's the companion at the time, is like, just do it. But he's like, but think of all the people that they brought together. Think of all the civilization, you know. Ooh, that's a isn't tough it one. Like, that isn't is it like a? I don't know if, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm being arrogant here, but essentially, isn't it reductionist to think that you can get rid of a bad idea by just supplanting or, sorry, uh, dismantling mm. the figurehead? I mean, you're not, you know, it's like the whole idea of Trump, like when everyone was really like just up in arms that he was happy, not, not up in arms, but just celebrating that he left. And I couldn't quite buy into that. I, I, I realized why people needed to do that. It was like a victory in lockdown, but you know, like just because he goes, like so much is still going wrong. So. Yeah, it, it, the, what, he's, what he's brought to, to the surface is not going away. Marjorie Taylor Greene, anyone? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay. But, but here's the thing though, do you, but, but there you are, do you, you're over Donald Jed Trump's cradle. You're there, you're over Trump's cradle. Um, I'll tell you what I do, um, and I'll, I'll let people talk after this because I can. I think I'm talking too much about this. Um, has anyone read Old Man Logan? Uh, no, yeah. you have. Just, right. just assume the answer is yes. Every time you ask <laughs> I won't spoil the ending, but there is a way of of going through life where it doesn't really mean that the hero has to, you know, off the bad guy. Maybe you can do something about the legacy, which calls upon your maternal instincts. Um, so read Old Man Logan, you'll see what I'm doing there. But for those who have um, read it and maybe want to have uh, more of a, a clearer example, what I'm saying is a lot of these problems that we have come from man being afraid of himself. I'm not talking about humankind, I'm talking about the male and the male psyche. Okay, they're afraid mean, of sex, okay. they're afraid of women, and they find ways to throw that into their literature. You know. Baron Harkonnen, yes, sure, he's a bad guy, and he's part of a really interesting story. But he is the result again of the othering of the of the homosexual and using that uh, without realizing it as a way of projecting that fear and that and that anger, you know. Yeah, but you didn't answer my That's question. Are, are you gonna are are we gonna strangle Donald Trump? You know, you're over the cradle. I did answer it, but you have to you have to read Old Man Logan to know the answer. Okay, forget about <laughs> Old Man Logan. Not, just just tell me, and I don't know what that means. I didn't get an answer. If I tell you, then I'll be okay. Look, no, don't tell me Old Man was... Logan story. Just tell me, would you kill Donald Trump if you could? When you if you could go back in time, or if you were okay, forward, forward this video twenty seconds so you don't get the the spoiler of Old Man Logan. Right, you're doing it. Okay, good. Essentially, in Old Man Logan, you've got an old Wolverine who finds like this Hulk baby, yeah? <laughs> in the future. <laughs> he finds in the future, baby. in the future, the Hulk has been smashing some shit up. He's gone insane, yeah, because the gamma radiation made him evil. Instead of Logan killing the baby, he takes the baby on the horse and he rides off into the sunset, presumably to raise that baby as his own. So if I was there above the Donald Trump baby or- Oh my God, Hitler you want to raise Donald Trump? Because oh. as a baby, he was harmless. That's he didn't true. have any fear of people. That's what I'd say. All right, so okay. if you're right. this point in the you. video, we've done Thank a spoiler. You. We've Thank done a spoiler. We've done a spoiler. Okay, cool. Matt, you're going to say something. 
Yeah, I, I, I think what you're touching on is very important there because it, it it's it's where I was getting to with the 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 why I kind of disagree with the necessary the necessity to have heroes and villains as well because on the other side of things, yes, there are examples in the puzzle we can say almost unmitigatedly these were bad people they did bad things whatever but they were human and they had human rights and you know most nazis were not too dissimilar from who we are and i think as a culture we are very scared of that and i think there is a necessity to yes whilst being able to still analyze and say someone's motivations were good or bad to also say i can analyze the moral complications of that of that situation and understand why it led there i can disagree with it i can disagree that walter white you know got to the position he was you know but i can watch the transformation and understand why it happened and i think there is a need to kind of whilst still having these morality tales be able to have a more adult and now that framework of analysis so that when we look at these things, we can't just say, oh, well, it was evil, but it happened all that time ago. And when it comes again, we can see that psychology acting and we can understand where it's going. And you can only do that if you can have an adult story and adult conversation about these villains. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, I think there's some um, sorry. So there's there's one thing that I wanted to kind of raise here because I, I think it spins background nicely. Um there's a thing that John mentioned, which I, I think is really interesting where you were talking about um sort of like so many things um you know come out in stories or so many things just come out badly because um you know men are afraid of themselves um and i mean that as the sex uh, men are afraid of themselves and it's an interesting thing because um funnily enough the sort of monomythical men group type people that i mentioned earlier one of their big drives is um they one of their ideas in order to improve the world for, for ola here is um is that there are elements of what is considered to be, um, you know, manliness, which have been swept under the rug, um, that are often conflated with badness, which aren't really that, which aren't bad in and of themselves. They're just not um, popular. Um, so there's an element where, for instance, you know, yes, you know, like things like, um, you know, man as a soldier or, or man as a, you know, as, as a sort of, like a physically man as physical violence is considered to be bad which unrestrained yes it is um, but there are times when that's important and we can't ignore that or suppress it and that perhaps so many of the problems we have are things like that where we try and suppress something that needs to be engaged with you know we we you know we tell people to be more sensitive but then we don't necessarily deal with the fact that you know there are elements which need to be addressed there are cultures where in which that is formally and constructively addressed such as you know with Sikhs with martial arts and their way of dealing with it where they take young men and don't force them but encourage them into that thing to explore that side of themselves because without exploring that you end up with explosive violence people who don't know what to do with their violent tendencies um, you know school shooters don't come from come from nowhere you know what I mean like if 
Yeah, but it sounds. Um, I, I sound like I'm about I, to suggest military service, I'm, but I'm not. I'm in disagreement. <laughs> I, I'm, a little, I'm in a little bit of disagreement here with you in the sense that, like, men are not. I mean, I'm, women are violent. They're just socialized not to be, but they really are. I mean, I often sometimes think I'm not suggesting that I that I agree with the guy who goes out to the pub and punches people, but sometimes. It, it, it's like men can just like punch each other and then go all right and have a drink and it's over and the emotional torture and the emotional you know they think and and women are just socialized to do it completely differently they've got the same violence they've got the same anger they're just told to internalize it and not punch someone I'm not yeah. saying that punching yeah. is, not saying that punching is the solution but what i mean is a more straightforward non-passive aggressive bullshit thing a more straight forward like fuck you okay fuck you and then <laughs> as opposed to you know i mental don't know, i think Am i, I think the one thing to do that that doesn't sound but, straightforward to me that sounds like you've got serious issues like punching someone and then punching your back and having a drink and saying everything's fine doesn't okay, sound I'm like not, you're solving I, the problem <laughs> no no I, but what i'm trying to i'm not saying i'm advocating violence as a solution but what i'm trying to say <laughs> is that is a more there's a more honest approach of just letting just let's just say we do it with words rather than punching but just a more like straightforward like there is anger in women there's so much violence in women they're just told to, to button it up and you're denying everything you know the idea that Sikhs are allowed to explore it and yet you know when they're allowed to explore the anger of, of themselves as men I mean I'm sorry if I'm misinterpreting this Ali but like the idea is that women also feel the exact same things but it's just hmm. not allowed to show it they're just I as yeah, I think the one thing I want to just quickly spin around to you there for the sake of context is the fact that I'm not in any way dismissing um, the you know women's side of this. It's just merely that in this context, um, the reason I'm talking about men is because there's a particular historical context to that, where okay. women's you know struggle with that issue. It comes from a different place, and in our time as we are now. Um, so I'm not discounting it. It's just that this is the particular aspect of, you know, this is from my side of the table. Um, so yeah, you're right. Yes, there are, um, you know, I, I, I dislike to use the phrase, but like, yes, there are toxic elements to what society requires of femininity that are bad in the same yeah. way that there are, you know, of the men with the, with the, by encouraging the violence of men and suppressing the violence of women. Or, you yes. know what I mean? Like, like, you know, no, when but, can... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I, well, what I was going to say is that um, I think that in a way, um, you know, there is oppression on both sides there. Um, I think that, or, for instance, um, histor well, how do I go about this without going on to a huge lecture? Um, basically, <laughs> what I'm getting at is the fact that for the, the issue that we have at the moment is that with the 20th century, there's a huge legacy of basically male violence ruining everything and so we're afraid of it because of world war one and world war two and all the various wars in between men and women together have decided that we should just tamp this down and try and avoid blowing ourselves up which is a noble goal um but then we never really explored any avenue to make it work so we half-assed it with sport and you know things like that but it's not really worked out so well 
obviously and horror yes. films horror films and horror films yeah but this is the thing is on the women's side you have a problem which is much longer a longer history of suppression of maybe not violent tendencies but you know conflict and you know regress that is a longer much more say, difficult story i would say and violence yes. anger negative emotions or aggression or assertion of any kind as well whereas yes. men are suppressing their 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 the need to cry side if you get what i'm saying i'm just oversimplifying it but yeah you know what i mean like yeah. you, that's the we're allowed to weep and be ba and babies and yeah kittens and, and men are like <laughs> <laughs> not allowed to cry we're not allowed to touch it up basically yeah um okay so i i would like to move towards rounding off the podcast now if anyone has anything they'd like to add before we sort of wrap things up now's your chance anyone got anything to say um yeah um just because i think we are aware of this but it would be remiss not to state that regardless of um ollie what you were saying the idea that um you weren't dismissing uh the feminine aspect of this i i don't think you were at all i think what you were trying to say at least this is how i interpreted it as is that these people these men who have had this fear of themselves have been the de facto storytellers from the beginning of time it's if you only really truly look at um recent history in terms of women having their stories in print or given the chance to have those stories and ideas in celluloid for them to actually permeate throughout a culture you know i mean the idea of seeing a man cry in a film it's actually still quite a recent thing i know film hasn't been here for as long as like say something like the bible but if you look at those old wartime stories you wouldn't get the main character breaking down and crying you know you you will get Kiefer sutherland crying at the end of a you know a long run of 24 on that, that i used to love 24 it's a load of shit but i used to love it Hate me, i don't care but essentially <laughs> you'd have you'd have um, this idea that the stiff upper lip, it wasn't just a British thing, it was a world-renowned thing, right? And so, you know, I, I think that just needs to be addressed. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, it's very important. Um, okay, well, I, I think there's a lot more to say here. I think we definitely will need to sort of reconvene, talk a little more about, you know, influence of capital, maybe sort of the um, narrative, the male versus the female narrative and how it affects our journey into the present day. I can see a lot of new avenues opening up there, but for now, I think we can, uh, we can kind of tie it off. So I'd like to take this moment to thank my, uh, my lovely panel for being here today. I had an absolutely electric conversation tonight um so uh yeah i'm going to give you all the chance to introduce yourselves to us uh, as we're usually ideologically uh conversation driven and not personality driven we leave this to the end rather than the beginning but um i think it's time you learned a little more about everyone who's been talking at you for the past hour um so let's start with uh ola do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself i thank you yeah my man um Yes, I'm Ola's Cool Kitchen, and I do a radio show, and you can follow me on Mixcloud, and I do it because good music has no boundaries, and mainstream radio sucks. 
awesome stuff. Um, cool. All right. Um, and yeah, Ollie, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Um, so I am a musician and a music producer. Um, I play with several groups and produce lots of stuff, um, most recent of which is Dorja, so you can check them out. Um, and also other some other times people call me a philosopher, apparently. So this is a thing I'm embracing now. It's just happening. Um, I fully appreciate you as our resident philosopher. Um, I did an A-level. Um, I'm probably nowhere near as well read as you, but it's, it's very nice to have someone bringing that aspect to the conversation. Um, cool. Thank you so much for that. And uh, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yes. Um, firstly, Matt, thank you so much for moderating today. Like it was your first time out and you have steered this USS Rant Fox TV through nebulas of confusion and wonderful logic so well done well done um i am john clay i have been doing Rantbox tv for the better part of a year now starting in 2020 i am an author and a director i've written a book about a man who is afraid of himself and despite or maybe in spite of his superpowers causes himself a lot of mental distress you can check that out by checking out the link in the box of description um and yeah i've been recently getting some new work for music videos since uh, the lockdown is starting to ease. So that's wonderful to know. Thank you for watching guys. Matt, if you want to continue with your talk. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yes, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I just wanna thank you once again for a really wonderful discussion. Um, this has been Rapbox TV. We publish a new video every Friday and um, the relevant links to everybody's stuff will be in the description or in the bio or wherever about suspending where you're seeing this video and um, yeah I hope to have you join us next time thank you very much for joining us yay goodbye <laughs> bye guys <laughs>